not. Well, I would like to pray for us again, and if you'd like to, um, if you turn to your phones or to your scriptures, you can actually turn to Matthew chapter 22, and I'll, I'll remind us again in just a few moments, but I want to pray for us in our time together as we dive into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by your grace you have chosen your elect. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have washed away our sons through Christ Jesus. Forgive me, forgive us when we are tempted to cloak ourselves in our own righteousness. Lord, remind us that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we praise you for it. I'm reminded of those themes as they just threads through the whole of Scripture. I thank you for another day of breath for each one of us. I pray for my brothers and sisters who maybe are sitting here and are sick and have the illness of some sort, or maybe bearing some burdens or suffering in some way that only you know, or possibly are just discouraged and hurting over some loss. I pray for your encouragement, and I pray that we would suffer well as your people. And Father, I'm reminded that as your people that we, we should, we ought to. We know that, you know, this life in this broken world that everything is not going to just be fixed in these moments here in this life, but there will be suffering. So, Father, we pray for your help and your aid. Now, Lord, open our hearts, our minds, our ears. May we have hearts ready and able to receive what it is that you have to say to us through your scriptures, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through uh, the Gospel of Matthew together, calling it the Disciple Maker. And I wanted to just highlight something that, that happened to me not too long ago, but I'm sure has happened to you on occasion as well. Have you ever had one of those, those seasons of life where, or a moment where you experience tremendous fellowship and a me, over a meal together with other Christians? Or perhaps you're not a Christian and you just have experienced the kind of party, the type of gathering where you thought, man... There's something about this that is so sweet, something about this that is so good, this friendship, this connection, this safety, there's something about it that's just wonderful. Well, not long ago, I was invited, along with some other pastors, to be blessed by a group of people, and they said, hey, look, we were going to take you guys out, just, just several of us, we we're going to take you guys out and pay for your dinner. It was going to be a great dinner. But here's the thing, we are... Um, we're sort of wannabe chefs, and we think we're pretty good, and we just want to bless you guys. And I'll tell you right now, man, they blessed us massively. Now, I'm a pretty regular guy. I try a lot of strange foods. I love strange foods, all kinds of things. I'm actually, if you don't, you don't know by looking at me, but I'm actually half like, my mom's side is like German, Scotch-Irish, English, French, because of all that mess in history. And then on my dad's side, um, I'm Mexican which has some Spanish in there, and I eat some, therefore I eat some weird stuff in some people's minds. Things like menudo. There's some of you that are terrified at the smells of that and, and everything else, and what it, if you find out what it is, you'll never like, go in a restaurant and order that ever, but it's absolutely amazing. So I love food. But then this, on this particular occasion, someone just took this amazing time to just bless us. They were like high-level chefs, even though they technically were not chefs. 
What they made for us was something called a beef wellington. Now, I had never had beef wellington before, but I started to look it up and see what it costs. In some places, it could be anywhere from $45, $55, $100 meal. And if you're like a Hell's Kitchen kind of person, then you know like that's one of Chef Ramsay's kind of gigs. I never saw that episode, but apparently he's pretty good at it, and he has some very interesting ideas about how that's supposed to go down. So the evening begins. They say, look, we are here to bless you. We're going to make you food. Enjoy these appetizers. And there were appetizers of all different kinds, and there was some light food before the main dish, and there was drink, there was wine of every kind. And just started experiencing this conversation, this time together where we were just enjoying all kinds of discussion. Now look, if you know Beef Wellington all, if you're a meat guy or gal, I thought that the, the prince of meats was like the filet. And maybe it is, I don't know. But I can tell you this, the Beef Wellington is prepared very particularly. It takes several hours to do so. They even roll out this dough and put it in there. And, and when they served us the beef wellington, it wasn't just like a sli- an, inch, an inch thick slice, you know, on a plate. They gave every one of us the entire beef wellington. Every one of us had our own piece. Needless to say, that myself included, gorged myself with food that night. But every amazing detail and care and love went into it, and it was absolutely delicious. More importantly than the drink and the food was just the conversations that happened around the table. Jesus was lifted up. Burdens were bore together. Care was taken, listening. And for a moment as we sat together enjoying this amazing party, this amazing banquet, this amazing drink, I felt like just for a moment I was peering in to the future of a banquet with Jesus. Have you ever had a moment like that? We were eating with Christian friends, having amazing conversations about the Word of God, enjoying the fellowship, this friendship, this deep-rooted friendship where you say, we are connected because of Christ Jesus, and you just peer. It's as if you're looking through a veil, like like you pull the veil open just to crack, and you see this future meal with Jesus himself. Well, it felt like that. What if, what if God calls a people to himself, to a banquet, to a party, indeed, to a wedding feast. What if God did that? Well, the reality is he does. God calls a people to come join him and enjoy this amazing, this marvelous, this exquisite banquet, a feast, a wedding party that just surpasses all other wedding parties in all parties. You know what, growing up, I remember in the town that I grew up, and this is a very Western thing, perhaps. I'm not globally wise, but I would say, in my context where I've grown up, and kids going to high school, one of the popular things to do in my particular area 20 years ago, and it was something that I didn't participate in. I'm not saying that to tell you how pure I am, because I am a wretched sinner. I've outsinned everyone in this room, most likely, to be quite honest. But I just didn't party. I just wasn't interested in partying with a bunch of other people. That, but that's what they did in my city. I mean, it was all kinds of partying. And I think the people, when people do that, they, I think they're longing for something that they just don't know about. They're longing for a connection and a, a gathering and fun in a way they just don't know how to make sense of. And they do it in this really broken way of drunkenness and sinfulness and all kinds of things. And I, th- I would say that they're longing for something 
that God actually provides and will satisfy our souls with if we understand that he's the one that we need to be satisfied in. So if you will, I want you to turn to Matthew 22. We're going to begin in verse 1. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. What I want you to see today is this. I want you to see that God is actually calling his people to a wedding feast. Now here's the problem. Although he does this graciously and amazingly throughout history, throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia, that people have ignored him, the people have denied him, and when they've heard about the offer that God grants about this amazing party to come to, many times they have uh, wrongfully treated and slaughtered the messengers that God sends with that message of good news and hope to be reconciled to him. And one of the things we'll see in the text is that amazing and terrible problem um, of rejection of God. But here's the thing. God is just. I know that people will often struggle with the question of, hey, how can a good and just God just let all this evil and suffering just run rampant all over the world around us? Why doesn't he do something about it right now? Hold on. I'd say this as a soft argument. That don't you think just because we don't see God's justice taking place instantaneously, that doesn't mean that it's not taking place? It's a rather big assumption to, to assume that it's not. But I will, I will argue this, and not, not lengthily, not in a long way during the message, but I just want to tell you this, that God is just, and we'll see that, that he actually deals with this type, all kinds of evil and rejection of him and, of, and, and evil of all sorts. But here's the thing, as we come to this party, here's the, the important piece. This, he has this grand invitation that he calls us to come to, but he tells us that we need to be cloaked in the wedding garb of his provision. We don't get to be clothed in the type of wedding garb that we want. One of the great temptations, whether you come here and you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, our temptation is to put our own clothes on. We want to put our own righteousness on instead of the righteousness that is provided through Christ Jesus that God provides. And here's the thing that we'll see in the text as we read it and look at it. That if we are unwilling to put on his righteousness and we want to put on our own righteousness, well, there's a place in a due time and season where God will extend his justice on those that reject his clothing and his invitation to join his party. And that would be conscious, eternal punishment. That is the orthodox historical way of describing hell. Conscious, eternal punishment. We'll even see it in the text that we read today. Jesus talks about this idea of a place of outer darkness where there is the gnashing of teeth, utter regret and anguish and separation from God. But, this is what you need to understand today. Whether you have come here as a Christian, or you have come here as someone who's curious and maybe not a Christian yet, and I say yet, because I believe God is powerful and he can save you and rescue you, I would say this. Listen to the invitation and merely come to the God of heaven who offers a party that is like nothing you could imagine. Matthew 22. So the text begins like this. It says, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants 
to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But listen to what the Word of God says. But they would not come. They would not come. You know, Jesus, the audience that Jesus is talking to, he's talking to this religious crowd of people, and there's certainly other people there as well. But I'll tell you this, they, um, they knew something of the Word of God. They had this ongoing relationship where they, they had the Scripture, they had the promises of God, they had, they had all the information of what it meant to be in relationship with God, and they were rejecting him. And they are very aware that Jesus is talking about them. We know that from the, in the midst of the other parables that have been spoken of here, where those that were the religious leaders that were there, they understood that Jesus was talking about them. And throughout history, what we know is God was saying to the people of Israel, hey, come, come and be with me. But they were doing things like they wanted to have their own king, like all the other nations around them. They wanted to worship their uh, completely other gods. Instead of worshiping the God of Israel, Yahweh himself, the one calling them to himself, and they, would re- they were rejecting him. And they were basically ignoring him. Then the text goes on and says this. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. You can see the the grace of God extending this, um, not just once, but multiple times. This is the point that Jesus is making. God has been extending an invitation to a party, to a, a wedding feast of his son. Here Jesus is clearly talking about himself. He has told them for hundreds, thousands of years. But they have ignored him. And then it says, come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, uh, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. And we see these three things. So God has been in relationship with Israel. Well, can we just pause for a moment and just understand a little bit about who Israel is? You know, God made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was renamed. His name was Israel. And all the line that came through him, they were called Israel, right? I know my name is Israel, and I grew up thinking sometimes they were talking about me, but that's not talking about me. It's talking about, like, these, these particular people. But what Israel is is a type. Now, some of you English nerds, when you think of a type, you think of an exemplary example of what, it, of what it means to be this people. Although what we learn from reading the Bible is that Israel is a terrible example of what it means to be the people of God, much like you and I, by the way. They are not a good type, but they are a type of how God extends grace. He chooses a people for himself, and they, they don't worship him the way they ought to. They deny him. They don't listen to his call when he says, hey, come, come. I've got, I've got a party for you that you could not imagine. Be in relationship with me. And some of them are true Israel, and some of them are denying him in the midst of all that. But they're a terrible type. They end up doing all these wicked and terrible things to each other and to the nations around them. And God is going, God deals with them. So they're they're terrible. They're a terrible example. But here's the thing. But aren't you and I a real terrible example at times of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? The answer is we are. If we we just opened our hearts for just a moment to see what we thought, um, 
regardless of what we've done, but the things that have entered our hearts, the types of things that have entered our hearts, we would be just shamed. Am I right? Am I the only one? But so they're a terrible type, and you got, God has been extending this grace to them, and they have rejected it, and uh, they continue to do so. And then God says, hey, look, come. He, multiple times, he, he extends a call to them. Hey, come. I've got a wedding feast to be enjoyed. And then it says they denied him in these three different ways. One, it says, hey, look, they went in, to attend their farms. Essentially, they were more concerned about the affairs of their life. Hey, look, in their day, everyone's got to have a little farm. God isn't saying that you can't have a little farm. God is not saying that they can't yield some fruit from their, their work. And God isn't saying they can't attend their business. But the issue is they're more concerned with their daily affairs and their business than they are with knowing God. In fact, they do this evil thing where they take the messengers that God has sent, his prophets, and that's exactly who Jesus is talking about. He's saying, I have sent my servants. I have sent my mouthpiece to tell you, come to me, follow me, obey me, yield your life to me. This is what it looks like to be in a relationship with me. And they get upset. And so what they do is they treat them really shamefully and they kill most of them. Saw them in two. They do all kinds of terrible things. Stone them with rocks. All kinds of evil upon evil. The very mouthpiece of God that God has sent to be to go say these things. It's a terrible job to have. I don't want to be a prophet. Any of you guys want to be a prophet? It's a terrible job. So they do all these wicked things. And I, and I want to raise this question. So number one, first and foremost, I want to say this. Look, what Jesus is saying, what the Gospels are saying is come to the party. What I want you to hear is, look, come to the party, to the banquet, to the wedding feast that God is inviting us to. Don't ignore it. That's number one. And the question comes up to mind, why would, they, why would someone deny this? The God of heaven extends this amazing invitation. Why do they, are they so willing to deny him and kill their prophets and care more about their business or their daily affairs? Why do they do this? And I want to offer a very simple answer to this question. Because here's the thing. I think that we do it as well. We are very tempted to reject God's call to just come and go to the party that he extends to us. I know that we're Christians, but I also know that some of you maybe are not Christians yet. But we, we, there are times as Christians where we live as though we are not, going, we are not going, on, going on our way to an amazing party that God invites us to. But why do people do that? Why do they care more about their daily affairs? Why do they care more about their business and all these other things and want to kill the prophets that God sends? And I would say this. I would argue this. Here's why. There's one simple reason, and that is the deception of sin. Now, when you read Genesis chapter 3, the words start out something, well, before I tell you the words. When you think of the story of the serpent coming to Adam and Eve and doing all the things he does, do you have this image of him showing up, taking her down, breaking her teeth out, and throwing her around on the ground? It's not what happens, is it? The weapons of warfare for the enemy are much more cunning. In fact, in Genesis 3, he doesn't come just like swinging. Like when you heard a message a while back about the book of Acts, when the, when the sons of Sceva, and they, they're like, hey, we want to be like Paul, you know, and try to cast out these demons. And they're like, hey, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? And they go running out of the house naked and afraid and beat up and bruised and all that, right? Now, certainly the devil and his minions can do that sort of thing, absolutely. 
But it's far more dangerous to deceive them than to beat us, to deceive us than to beat us. See, in Genesis chapter 3, it starts out with these words. It says, but the serpent was more cunning than all the other animals. And then he gets her to doubt her God, the God of heaven. Did God really say? And then she gets it all messed up. And she starts to say, well, he said, you know, we can eat all this other stuff, oh, but we can't touch. And she has this half-truth that's all connected. And what you have is this root of deception. You have an idea. You don't have teeth being knocked out by the evil one, although the evil one could do that sort of thing and harm us and destroy us and kill us. We see that kind of thing happen to Job and his family. But what I'm saying is the real danger is the reason why people would deny um, this amazing call of an amazing banquet that God is calling us to is the deception of sin. And we are easily deceived by sin. We have to be aware of that. And that's exactly why they go about their business, caring about their business, they care about their gardens, and they beat up and kill the the servants of God that God has sent, and they ignore the call that he has given to say, come to the banquet. Why are there people that don't don't want to come to the banquet? I'm not denying the sovereign grace of God that is needed to regenerate our dead and wicked hearts. It's absolutely true. But I'm saying fundamentally, if you're here today and you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you really struggle and you've got questions, I would offer this. Sin is deceptive. And I don't know if you believe that. And to my Christian brothers and sisters, I think we need to be reminded that sin is extraordinarily deceptive. The weapons of our enemy's warfare are ideas, dangerous and terrible ideas. Let me give you an example from our own culture. Just this last week, we had a terrible thing. All kinds of evil happen in our, well, not our community, but Southern California. You guys know about it, don't you? There was a young man at a high school, just a kid, a a child, a child. You know, he took a gun and, and he shot fellow students and he turned it on himself. And I, I, going from memory, but I think I saw another comment or maybe, I think he passed maybe yesterday. I could be wrong. I'm not positive. Don't. He passed, didn't he? It's a, to- it's a terrible thing. And what I found was an interesting article that was put out by um, Sandy Banks. She writes in the LA Times, and she, she had some interesting ideas about this um, that I, I want to share with you that struck me as hopeless, which is completely natural for the world to respond to these things. But I thought her questions were great questions. I, and I believe that there are answers to these hard questions as we look into this, the scriptures and we understand good news and our hope we have in Christ Jesus. So here we have this, this people of God denying the call, ignoring the call that God has given. They're killing his, 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 his servants. And then we have these contemporary issues going on where this whole thing has plagued our nation where, where children are killing each other um, and people wondering, what in the world do we do? So this is what she says. She says, um, but how on earth do you prepare for the, for the prospect that one of our classmates, an ordinary kid, a boy scout, who played chess, ran cross country, had a girlfriend, took AP classes, would begin the school day by pulling a gun from his backpack and shooting into the crowd on the quad? How do you protect yourself from something you can't predict and don't understand? Isn't that fascinating? Just a kid. AP classes? Sounds like a smart kid. Smarter than me. I didn't take AP classes. I was dumb class. 
for those of you that are in classes like me, I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm dumber than you are, okay? But I was in, the, I was in normal classes. I had no aspirations. I didn't read my first book until I was 19. I was like, I don't want to read that. And then I read a book, and then I got caught. I was like, dang, this is good. I got to keep reading. All right, so all that to say, all that to say, this child, this kid, this young man, has all of the outward appearance of just, just a regular kid, a smart kid, playing chess, a girlfriend. It's like the American dream. Then she poses this, this question. All outward appearances don't seem like this person would do anything like this. Uh, and she says this. We've got to deal with this on the front end with kids so they're not feeling so hopeless and angry and desperate. Interesting words. It seems to me we're all feeling a little desperate right now, wishing there was one right answer. Just do this and you will be safe. But that doesn't really exist inside or outside of school in our world today. I read those words and I thought those, that was really fascinating. It's a great question. But also an expression of someone who felt or thinks, I don't see any hope. Now I can make some assumptions about this person, but I think one of the big things that have been preached as an idea in our culture has, education will solve everything. If we could just teach someone, then they won't do. But I'm going to just blanket statement, help us understand this. Hey, look, sin is deceitful. The evil one is cunning. Sin is destructive and deceitful. But there is hope in God. There is hope in knowing Jesus. The answer is knowing Jesus and the good news of the gospel. You know, knowledge puffs up. The Bible tells us that. You know, you can be smart. You know, the, the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, man, they had a lot of knowledge. Man, they could run circles around us, most, you know, in terms of their knowledge of the Bible, probably just recite it, boom, boom, boom. And you feel a little embarrassed, like, dang, I wish I knew Bible the way they could just spout it out. Oh, yeah, Isaiah says right here, right? I mean, just spout it out from memory, but completely miss it with a dark heart. And so I read that, and I think, you know what? Why is it? How is it that someone could hear the call of God, come to a banquet? I've got a feast that you could not imagine, a better party than you could ever imagine. Don't put your hope in your work or your affairs of life or getting drunk or whatever. That's not going to solve your problems. There is hope and there is satisfaction and a party to be attended with the Son of God at the end of the, at the, end of the age. Trust me. How could people reject that? The deceitfulness of sin. Number two, the Lord is just. God is just. And he displays his justice. I don't want to spend a lot of time, on, I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I want to just address the fact that God is just. Now listen to what the text says. Like Jesus is telling this parable, and you have this picture of a, of a king who's got this great party, and he has graciously thrown it out there, not once, not twice, but then there'll be a third time to come, and they reject him, and they slaughter his people, and the king was angry in verse 7. Do you see this? The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now when you read the Bible, you see, like the, the audience that was there listening to Jesus, they could remember, you know, the years prior. They knew orally what had happened. They had scripture. They knew about their people being slaughtered and their city burned in judgment from God. 
You see, they had rejected God's word. They had wanted to worship their own way, and they rejected him. They refused to come to the party that he offers. And God sent in their enemies and burned their city and took them captive to discipline them. So this is what I want you to understand, that God is just. Look, look, they, look the text says they were murderers. They were murderers. They killed God's servants that he had sent. And God dealt justly with them. God is just. And we need to acknowledge that God, God is just to reject those who reject him. Now, I don't know where you're coming from today. But if you are not willing to embrace Jesus, that God, this holy God, has every right to reject you. But there's great news. Jesus, the, fa- God, Father, the Father offers hope through Jesus that we don't have to be rejected, that we can be in his abode and come to the party that he invites us to. The question is, do you want him over the, your party, over the affairs of your life? Do you want him more? Do you see him as, as better, which he is? Number three, God is so gracious that he extends this invitation, not once, not twice, but then a third time to all different sorts of people. This is what it says in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all, all whom they found, both bad and good so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Man, he goes out and extends this to many, and he, and he, and he, goes and he sends us on mission to actually go proclaim the good news of his, of his gospel to all kinds of different people. And what Jesus is saying, God has extended this all over and is going to extend it all over. You have rejected it. You have been unworthy. And when you read about the person of peace earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, you see the person of peace is the one who is worthy, the one who is willing to listen to God. And so he extends this good news to to all these different people, and that's us. Look, if you're here today and you have not put your trust in Jesus and you're wondering if you should, I cannot convince your heart. I can tell you about what Scripture says, but only God can change your heart. But if God is doing something in your heart where you're saying, you know what, I want Jesus, then I would tell you this, that God is doing something in your heart and transforming and changing your heart. And if you're a Christian today, you, and you're here today, and man, you just gotta, you gotta remember and you need to recognize today that there are times that maybe we are not submitting to and embracing the God who is calling us to, to this banquet that he has for us and living our life in a way that isn't glorifying to him, thinking, thinking, being deceived by the evil one that there are things that are just more satisfying than God. And so what we need to do as Christ followers is to turn away from those things and follow him. Number four, in order to come to the party, you have to wear the right clothes. Listen to the words of Jesus in verse 11. But when the king came, uh, he came in to take a look at the guests. He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
For many are called, but few are chosen. Here we see the king coming into the party, and he sees a guest not clothed in the proper garb. And here's what Jesus is getting at. You know, our great temptation is to clothe ourselves in our own righteousness and our own works. You know, I'm not really interested in what God has to say about this. I think I know better, and if, if I just work hard enough, then God will accept me. But what God is saying is that you don't get to come to the party clothed in your own righteousness. You, have, you can only be clothed in the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus. There is no other way. And so if you're here today and you think there's some other road to God that's wrong, that's a lie from the evil one, there are no other roads to God. It is through Christ Jesus. It is through no other, it's not through any other religion. You can't just make up your own way. It's Jesus or nothing. And if you embrace him, then you will be clothed with his righteousness. And if you reject him, well, what, this, what Jesus says is that you will be bound hand and foot and thrown in outer darkness where there is gnashing of teeth, utter and horrific regret. These are the warnings of the word of God, and they are true and real. We, just, I, we can't deny that, that it's a real thing. Hell is hot. Hell is real. And hell is terrible. The orthodox way to talk about it has always been historically eternal, conscious punishment. But here is the good news. You don't have to do that. Embrace Jesus. God is extending this amazing call to a party that's far better than what we could ever imagine. The best party that we have ever been to is like a, to be kind of crass, like a dinner in a sewer. I mean, it's not, right? I mean, that beef Wellington, there was nothing sewer about that. It was beautiful. But what I'm telling you, like the best experience is, it just pales in comparison to being in a party with God. And I would offer this, that all the other things that vie for your attention and for your heart and whatever it might be, they just will not add up. They will not satisfy. And ultimately, if you embrace those and reject the words of Jesus, then God has every just right to reject us as we reject him and to throw us into outer darkness. So I would argue, submit to Jesus and come to the best party possible. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that every soul in here would just consider the amazing party that you have for us in Christ, that you want to lavish us with your care and with your love through Jesus Christ. Lord, let no one leave here without knowing your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, today, you guys, we, have, we are celebrating a baptism. We've got Levi, who should be going back there, and he's going to be baptized in just a few moments. We're going we're gonna to praise and worship a little bit, and then we're going we're gonna to just celebrate him. And uh, we're excited. You know, when it, we want to see more baptisms in our church. We want to see baptisms in our city. We want to we see that. We want to see God work. And look, I just want to just throw, cast out some vision for you guys. Be on mission with us. Look, at Branches, we say we want you to know, grow, and go. We want you to know God. Be in, in worship together, knowing him. This is how we know. We, we know him because he has first known us. We want us to grow in Christ. 
We're going to grow in community. God does this in community. We bump up against ideas, and we're not bounced around by every wave of doctrine, by being in community. The evil one is deceptive, and he wants to rock you with horrible, wicked ideas to throw you off track. And thirdly, we want to be on mission together. We want to reach this city. We believe God has called us to the city, and we believe in planting churches. We planted this church. And we believe that God will call us to plant more churches. We're part of networks that believe wholeheartedly in the planting of churches, local and globally. And we are aggressively doing that with our whole heart. If you're part of branches, that's what we're a part of. And we want you to be a part of that. We love that. We care about it. We care about what God is doing, not just here, but globally. But join us on mission. Tell people the good news of the gospel. Share his glorious grace uh, in the city, for the city. So let's, let's praise Jesus, and then we will baptize.